These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal Television for Agricultural Business Decisions is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources in partnership with the Nebraska Rural Radio Association. Promotional support provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine and partial funding provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, hi everyone, I'm Brian Stuskit and thank you very much for joining us today on Market Journal. Do you have your planter out yet? That's a real question I ever heard this past week as the warmer than normal days have everyone hoping that spring is going to be here soon. Now when it comes to planting, we're going to have some tips on this week's program that you won't want to miss. An extension plant pathologist will also join us a bit later to discuss corn diseases that producers should be aware of ahead of the upcoming growing season. Plus, the president of Global, Global Commodity Analytics, Mike Zuzalo, he'll be stopping by to give us our market segment and to share his outlook for commodity markets throughout 2024. That is all coming up on the show, but first we start here. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln has created a new digital tool to help ag producers determine the appropriate application for nitrogen in their fields. The tool is an updated version of the corn end calculator and is designed to increase efficiency of nitrogen use as well as ease of record keeping. The new tool automates a process that previously relied on paper documents and Excel spreadsheets. The goal of the update is to help producers increase profitability and environmental stewardship. Nitrogen is essential for corn production and soil fertility and most farmers are applying nitrogen to their fields, but it can be really challenging for them to determine what the optimal rate is for a given field uh, and a given year. And part of that reason is because nitrogen is really dynamic in the environment. So it's very mobile, and this can cause uh, a lot of challenge in determining the optimum rate uh, to both maximize productivity, uh, so making sure we're applying enough nitrogen to optimize our production, uh, but also making sure we're not over-applying, which can have negative environmental impacts. So the tool will allow producers to put um, information in that's unique and specific to their fields, uh, so things like their soil characteristics, organic matter, irrigation practices, uh, residual nitrate sampling. Uh, they're also going to put in a yield goal, and we've added kind of a little component there where they can uh, use this tool to determine what a realistic yield goal is based on past production of the field. Um, and so after they get all their field specific information in, the tool is going to give them a recommendation or a prediction of nitrogen need for their uh, individual fields. Um, we're also going to give them some additional information. So beyond just that nitrogen rate prediction, uh, we're giving them uh, some score and opportunity to kind of benchmark where they're at with their nitrogen use efficiency. Uh, and from there, give them some guidance on maybe some things that they could consider doing differently if that's not in the, uh, an optimal efficiency zone. Um, the tool is also going to allow them to save their inputs so that they can keep that for record keeping or use that uh, to more easily make uh, purchasing. Um, orders and uh, really trying to make it a more comprehensive tool um, 
that not only captures the specific information for their field, uh, but also provides them a little bit more context on, on how their field is performing with nitrogen efficiency. With the mobile-friendly version of the tool available, there is little need to rely on pen or paper, or perhaps spreadsheets, as you'll have all the information you need at your fingertips. Nitrogen formulas have been in existence for some time, but generally we're doing those maybe with a pencil and paper or a complicated Excel spreadsheet. Um, so this tool is uh, online. Uh, you can bring it up on your computer uh, in the office, or you can bring it up and it's mobile friendly on your phone or tablet on the go. And so the idea is really to just make it very user friendly, uh, very quick, try to make it um, more time efficient for people, and just really um, make it as easy as possible for people to um, get this information to make a more informed decision. Um, and really, the, the goal is to improve their bottom line as well as, you know, uh, the environmental considerations as well. And so this is really, you know, one tool that's available to them. We have a suite of tools that are available for producers um, in the precision ag space as well. Uh, things like variable rate nitrogen management, sensor-based nitrogen management, uh, fertigation. And so this is just one piece of that puzzle. Um, and can be one of the tools in the toolbox to help with nitrogen management. Now, if you'd like to download that new tool or perhaps want to learn a little, a little bit more about it, you can head over to cropwatch.unl.edu. Also post a direct link along with this story. Find that over on the Market Journal website. Nearly a thousand years ago, the farmers who inhabited the upper Amazon basin in South America knew that incorporating charcoal or biochar as a soil amendment would help improve soil quality and overall improve their crop production. Today, biochar is picking up more attention from soil health experts. A University of Nebraska Lincoln researcher tells us when biochar is applied to soil, it creates a much more efficient carbon storage. Market Journal's Bill Dodd has this story. Biochar is produced from waste wood and other organic materials. It can reliably increase soil organic carbon for decades without needing repeated applications. When applied to soil, about 90% of the biochar remains in the soil for more than a century, continuously locking away carbon. This could have a profound impact on cropping systems across the United States. But biochar was also shown, for example, to decrease nitrate leaching, to increase nutrient retention, to increase the pH value. So there are a couple of co-benefits that are actually um, very valuable for uh, production systems and uh, biochar can be used in, in agricultural settings to, for example, increase uh, as well water holding capacity, so to make the systems more resource efficient. So basically needing less water and less uh, fertilizer, um, keeping nitrogen in the soil, also reducing N2O emissions. So it does have a couple of uh, uh, positive co-benefits in agricultural settings. While biochar can be a good soil amendment in the arena of agricultural production, Kaiser is currently collaborating with the City of Lincoln. The Lincoln Biochar Initiative involves the City of Lincoln, UNL, Nebraska Forest Service, and other entities that also plan a biochar production plant here in Lincoln that could be operational this year. So we are closely working with the City of Lincoln Biochar Initiative. Uh, this biochar initiative is, is led by the City of Lincoln. Um, the main purpose right now is to, uh, to build an own biochar production facility and uh, the city will then use uh, urban waste to produ uh, produce biochar and to use it to improve urban soils. And we discussed the potential co-application of biochar and biosolids. So biosolids is an um, 
is a product coming out of uh, urban wastewater treatment, uh, which is an excellent uh, organic fertilizer. So it contains a lot of water, nitrogen, phosphorus, but a lot of organic matter. Um, because a biochar is not really a fertilizer, it's a soil conditioner. And so combining both would mean we apply biochar for carbon sequestration and put biosolids in for the fertilization. But at the same time, the biochar might co-stabilize some organic carbon from the coming from the biosolids. But we also do uh, no-till and cover cropping. So it means we have biosolids, biochar, no-till and cover cropping, which are kind of four uh, individual climate smart management strategies. And we hope if we can combine it, that we in the end have an, um, like a management strategies for municipalities across the US, especially in areas with high agricultural uh, uh, intensity, that they have, that they can use biochar and biosolids um, uh, to improve the sustainability of production systems in so-called agricultural rural uh, or no, urban rural uh, transition zones. Although there's still a lot to learn about the addition of biochar to our soils, the potential benefits of biochar are too good to be overlooked. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Bill Dodd. If you'd like to learn more about this research, you can find a pair of informative links over on the Market Journal website. It is marketjournal.hewittell.edu. It is once again time to turn our attention over to the grain markets. This week, we're looking back at a recent conversation we had with the president of Global Commodity Analytics, that is Mike Zuzalo. We get his take on the commodity markets for the production year 2024. We're going to talk about prices, crop prices, where they sit today for corn and soybeans in particular, and kind of your outlook as we go throughout the next several months in 2024. What are the biggest factors driving the markets as we speak? Well, the biggest factors are that we're going to have a lot of big factors in 2024. And it, it's going to be, if we thought 2023 was volatile and, and kind of put your bootstraps on, um, 2024 is going to be even more so. And I say that because uh, about half the world is going to vote in an election this year, not just the United States. And the geopolitical situation, um, the economic situation between what's going on in the Middle East and Asia versus you know, how well we're doing here in the United States, uh, that's attracted a lot of attention in the form of a stronger currency here in this country. Um, the other thing I think that makes this year probably more volatile than normal, Bryce, is just the fact that the market, it's almost the exact opposite of 2023 in January. We were talking about 2012 drought. We were talking about how high prices could go. Uh, and we were talking about how would we be able to uh, sell and not worry about it going sharply higher. This time of the year, a year later, we're in the exact opposite mindset, especially when it comes to corn and wheat. The market is so negative, in my opinion. And I think that's where we've gone from one extreme to the other. And, and I think that's going to create extra volatility. Um, a perfect example is what we're going to be talking about at uh, some of the winter outlook meetings is the fact that at this point in time, the managed money positions in corn are the biggest since June of 2020, to the downside, the biggest net short position since June of 2020. The trade is very nervous about China's deflation and, and having a situation develop like that, and that, that takes commodity prices down even lower. 
2024. And so we've already started to kind of be, begin to build that in. Um, the history would suggest though that the funds get short and then the fund get, funds come in and, and at least flatten out and maybe even get long depending on their supply demand fundamentals and weather. I want to have you break down what you mean by that exactly for our viewers today. When you say the funds are short, what's that mean in particular for corn here? Yeah, this is a good question because there are different types of funds out there. There's different types of uh, alternative investment. Well, what I'm really focusing on in my research this year, and, and I, I have what I've had for a long time at, at what's called value levels, so a good place to sell, I think, and a good place to buy in, in the major agriculture commodities. For, for example, right now, um, we're at 12, roughly 12.05 as we head into the middle part of January for November beans. That's actually my overvalue level for November beans. And so I'm very eager to start selling 2024 beans if the corn and wheat don't come in and support the, uh, support the soybeans. And so the, the managed money funds that I focus on are the ones that are reported by the CFTC on the commitment to traders data because we have to have some of it's trackable. And I think that's what's really key. And there's a very strong relationship between the price of corn futures and the managed money fund position. It's not one-to-one -one, and sometimes it deviates, but it's a pretty strong relationship between the two. And so managed money funds tend to drive the commodity markets in my opinion. Doesn't sound like you're super bullish on your, your long-term outlook here in 2024. What could make you more bullish though? You know, the biggest thing, and I'll go back to what we just talked about, is China and this negative demand perception, this deflationary perception. Uh, they clearly have a property bubble that has burst. They clearly have a consumer that is getting hammered by both property investment and stock market investment. And, and with them being such the big player in the commodity markets, just from a standpoint of not only what they import, but also what they export, and what they do with the rest of Asia in terms of driving their economies, uh, I would say you've got an issue where if they can come back around in a strong way, I think the funds and the traders may start to look more brightly upon the demand side. And that's exactly what I'm looking for as we head into March. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. Mike, I want to get your thoughts on creating a marketing plan. Sometimes the winter months are a good time to reflect. A lot of people hauling grain right now, perhaps for the price that they're not extremely happy with. How can you use this time to be thinking about the 2024 crop? And where do you even begin? I think you begin with the idea that are you going to switch any acres once we know the February base price on the crop insurance side of the equation. That is such a massive player in both in terms of how the futures market trades and also what's happening on the farm. Uh, so I think, Bryce, that's probably the first place that I would start when if I sat down with a brand new client saying, how much would you change and swap out acres and move rotation based upon price? And if that's not very much, I think then you start thinking about your profitability and you start with what's profitable in the last few years early in the year, maybe with the exception of one or two months, uh, it's been soybeans. And so like 2023, that's part of the reason why I really am not hesitating to hedge beans because the profitability at 12 is still there uh, for the producer break-evens that I've seen so far. Corn, you just can't get from here to there at this point. And so you wait and you wait for the market to change its dynamic. Um, but I would also say that if the beans go sharply lower, um, and, and you're worried about that, but you don't want to sell cash. I have found that the last few years, because of the fund investment, uh, amplifying and exaggerating market moves, it might not be a bad idea, on a, and I have to say this on a one-to-one -one basis, that to look at maybe putting a floor underneath you with a short-term put option, so that if you do have a 50 or 60 cent drop in soybeans, you're not sitting there watching it and not being able to participate in that drop. So I think that's one of the things that I really want to encourage 
producers to think about um, because I think it's good risk management and I think the risk reward ratio from the standpoint of making better decisions and not feeling trapped is, is there. Next week on Market Journal, we'll be joined by Mike Briggs to, of course, talk about the cattle markets. We invite your questions here on the show. If you have one for me to ask Mike, go ahead and email us or get in touch on social media ahead of Wednesday morning, and I'll be sure to pass your question along. Cover crops are being talked about quite a bit in the agriculture industry today, and many farmers are increasingly interested in figuring out how to integrate them into their current crop rotations. Each farmer has their take on implementing cover crops, and there's obviously some challenges involved, particularly for more arid climates. You can learn more about adopting cover crops in the February issue of the Nebraska Farmer. It's now time to check in on weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Well, Eric, things were very mild as we started the week, but some folks saw some snow in the later part of it. What can we expect as we turn to the week ahead? Well, thanks, Bryce. This next week will be pretty mild, similar to this last one. Generally, it's going to be kind of a similar week overall. Uh, starting off, we will have some moderate temperatures after a cool start to Saturday. Uh, expect temperatures to be closer to 50 or a little bit above 50 by for most places by Sunday afternoon and generally uh, getting pretty mild by the time we head into Tuesday and Wednesday. So I think we're going to see widespread temperatures, upper 50s and maybe even the mid to upper 60s uh, south of Platte River by Wednesday afternoon. Uh, late Wednesday, we'll see another frontal passage coming through the state. Again, I don't think we're looking at significant cool down, but probably more seasonal temperatures on Thursday. And if you live in western Nebraska, particularly the Panhandle, I would pay attention to the forecast. There's a chance we could get uh, rain and maybe some snow in the higher elevations. Uh, so again, there's a chance uh, Scotts Bluff, Sydney, Kimball, you could get uh, maybe two to three, maybe even upwards of six inches of snow. Still a ways out, but pay attention to that forecast. Uh, by late in the week, though, it looks like we will turn back to mild air, so I think we'll be back in the 50s by the, in the next week. And the late part of February looks pretty mild. So again, I think we're just going to have a lot of days with highs in the 50s and in the low 60s for uh, as we get to the end of the month. Uh, not a real strong signal for precipitation, according to CPC, late in the month. Uh, speaking of precipitation, uh, most of the state was pretty dry here in the last week. Uh, some light precipitation in northeastern Nebraska Wednesday night, including a little bit of snow. Uh, some decent snowfall totals, though, this past weekend uh, out in the Panhandle. Uh, again, some places actually uh, picked up over six, eight inches of snow, and there was a co-op report around Kimball with a little bit, almost a foot of snow. Uh, and that was good news. That area has, of the state has not had a lot of precipitation uh, for most winters. So I'm kind of glad to see them getting some snow there. Uh, in terms of where we are with the drought monitor, we did see a bit of improvement in the drought monitor in Chase and Perkins County, and a little bit of eradication of D0 in Dawson County. Otherwise, no changes were made on the U.S. drought monitor this, this week for the state. In terms of snowfall anomalies for the seasons, this is going back to uh, first part of October. So again, eastern Nebraska generally above average on snow, uh, generally below average uh, central, north central, and western Nebraska. Uh, you know, some areas of western Nebraska did get or starting out a little bit above average uh, after the snowfall this last weekend. Uh, but this is definitely kind of a reversal of last year. We saw below average snowfall totals in east central and southeastern Nebraska, and well above average snowfall in west, in north central, and western Nebraska. Soil moisture kind of continues to improve a little bit. We did see some improvement in soil moisture across the panhandle where you have seen some melting in recent days uh, from that snowfall from last weekend. Soil temperatures, again, with the very, very mild temperatures, uh, soil temperatures are quite mild for this time of year, generally mid-30s to low 40s. And in terms of uh, this winter, again, we are having one of the warmest winters or the warmest winter on record to date across most of the northern U.S. In Nebraska, we are generally above average, uh, more so in the east than south central and western Nebraska. Uh, so just kind of finish out today, I want to go a little bit in the uh, seasonal outlook. So again, sea surface temperatures right now, uh, quite warm across a lot of the central and equatorial Pacific. So El Nino is still definitely in play. 
Uh, the expectation, though, is that we are starting to transition into neutral, and the expectation of the CPC right now is that we will transition to weak La Nina as we head into late summer and early fall. Uh, right now, though, they are relatively bullish on precipitation for most of Nebraska for the spring, and the National Multimodel Ensemble is actually, you know, also showing decent amounts of precipitation. So again, right now, I'm relatively bullish on a fairly wet March. Uh, I think that as we head into early March, I think we're going to see more stormy pattern shape up, uh, but still a little bit of time to tell. Um, thanks and back to you, Bryce. Okay, thank you very much for that update, Eric. We'll keep an eye on it as those systems develop over the next week. Finally, today we're going to take a look back to last week's corn production clinic that took place in Aurora to get some insights into corn diseases that producers should be keeping an eye on ahead of the upcoming growing season. Market Journal's Mike Straub joins us with more. Nebraska Extension recently held a corn production clinic in Aurora, Nebraska. Tamara Jackson-Zims gives an update on this year's tar spot threat, where we can see it, and what to look out for. Depending on where you're at in the state, my update for you is, is going to be different. And so looking out west, for instance, out in the Panhandle in western Nebraska, we don't have any tar spot in your immediate area. And so it's, it's not close to you yet. And so I just say, just be vigilant and, and watchful of our updates and you'll know when it does start to approach that part of the state. We aren't even completely sure how it will behave once it reaches that part of the state. And so otherwise, if you're in the central part of the state, we're letting people know that it has come to that part of the state. And in fact, we've confirmed it in all the counties along that Highway 281 corridor from about Hastings, Grand Island North, all the way to Holt County. And so uh, in those counties, you know, you're right on the edge of where the tar spot fungus has moved in. And so it was hard to find in many of those counties, there's not very much of it. And so right now it's more about making sure people understand what to look for. And so the black spots on corn leaves during the season, it really does look like someone dipped a paintbrush in black paint or tar and slung it across it. And so if you see black spots, especially on green leaf tissue, be sure and flip it over, look on the back side. Um, and if it does pop through on the bottom side, it's probably tar spot. But the most common thing we see in the field that time of year is, is actually insect frass. And it's very confusing for people when they see black spots like that. So try to rub it off and you might need to wet that leaf to get that off and rub pretty hard. And if you need help, just submit it to the Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic or one of the local county extension educators for help. Now on the eastern side of the state, the eastern third or so, tar spot has been there for the last two or three years now. And so in some areas, we've had some hot spots develop where disease has been more severe. And so in both the eastern and central parts of the state, I would say I would start looking at hybrids for their tolerance to tar spot, talking to your agronomist, have a conversation about where to position hybrids where you might have seen the disease in the past, because there are differences in the genetics, although it's really difficult for seed companies to test for tar spot and to produce ratings right now. And so it's slowing down the availability of those types of, of ratings for us to use in seed catalogs. But agronomists are often aware of which ones may perform better in the presence of it, and so have that conversation. Sometimes a tolerant hybrid may not need a fungicide application. 
And that, with that said, not everybody's going to need a fungicide application anyway for tar spot. And so in the counties along eastern edge of Nebraska, over into Iowa, down in Missouri, we know there's some places where they did have to spray. Disease developed early and it became quite severe where they had adequate moisture and in some areas where we had pivot irrigation. And so that's something that we need to be cognizant about is that we are creating an environment that's more favorable for some diseases, especially the one like tar spot caused by a fungus that's favored by wet leaves. And the longer those leaves are wet, the more favorable it is in general, we believe. And so we may end up talking more about irrigation management. And we do have uh, research ongoing. A graduate student of mine, Talon Muse, is leading that. And it's uh, sponsored by the Nebraska Corn Board and North Central IPM Center to help us learn more about tar spot development under irrigation and also under different parts of the pivot because it may not be the same all the way across. And in fact, it might be worse towards the pivot point where the inner spans move a little bit slower and the leaves are wetter longer. And so stay tuned for an update about that type of research. If you're to the point in 2024 though, where we see early disease development and we're seeing it become more severe on the plant, we do have very good fungicides to manage it. It's important which ones you select and at what stage you spray though to get the best efficacy. And so in general, we know that the two and three way products, that's the ones with active ingredients for from two or three of our classes, do the best job controlling tar spot. And for most people, a single application is probably enough. Although we do have data from our neighbors to the east on how sequential applications might work and which product and order might work the best too. And so um, timing, usually the sweet spot, at least in the data from the east, shows us about VT to R3 has kind of been the sweet spot for tar spot development for most people. Now, that's not always the case for everybody everywhere, and so we have to continue to scout and know when it starts to develop early in the season or later, and just be aware of where it is and how susceptible your hybrids are. And so if anyone has any questions, please reach out to us in Nebraska Extension and check out our resources there and also on the Crop Protection Network. Depending on what part of the state you're located, tar spot will affect you in different ways. In the west, be sure to keep up on scouting as tar spot may make it your way. In the central and eastern part of Nebraska, it's important to pay attention to irrigation practices to help prevent the disease. If you've had tar spot problems in the past, investigate possible hybrids to keep tar spot out of your crops. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Mike Straub. If you'd like to learn more about some of those corn diseases that we talked about that are affecting Nebraska producers, you know the website we're going to mention. Go ahead and bookmark it. It is cropwatch.unl.edu. It is your one-stop shop for all of your cropping information. That is going to do it for this week's show. If you did miss a story, be sure you're following Market Journal and you've subscribed over on our YouTube page. You can also like and follow us on social media to join in on the conversation. And if you're looking for more ways to watch Market Journal, go ahead and find us on Acres TV. We hope to see you back here next time. But until then, I'm Bryce Duskett, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine, 
Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.